This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 107. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is Session 107 you're listening to, brought to you by our friends over at Gearsluts.com, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, and Audio Technica. Happy New Year to all of you, and welcome to 2017. Yeah, here for you to do with as you will. So let's make the most of it, right? So let's get down to it. Let's talk about today's guest, Chris Graham from Chris Graham Mastering outside of Columbus, Ohio. Chris came on my radar because Lid Shaw from Recording Studio Rockstars, the Recording Studio Rockstars podcast, make sure to check my friend Lidge out. Lidge and I were talking about Chris because he said, you got to check this guy's website out. He's got this really interesting, you know, before, after kind of uh, player embedded in his website. So I checked it out and then I met Chris because uh, here's a little behind the scenes for you. Uh, there's a group of us that you might know. Bjorgvin from Audio Issues, Kevin from Mix Coach, uh, Lidge from Recording Studio Rockstars, myself. We all meet in a weekly uh, video uh, hangout kind of thing to talk shop, see how everybody's doing, see what everybody's up to. You know, it's kind of a social thing. It's a little bit of a business thing too. And, you know, we compare notes and talk about what we're doing and try to, you know, just kind of give each other uh, constructive criticism. Anyhow, uh, Chris Graham has joined us in that call. And uh, so that's how I met Chris was through our weekly video calls that we do. You know, we're all spread all over the country too, which really makes it nice. And uh, I would encourage actually anybody to do that. If there's a group of uh, uh, fellow recording professionals that you enjoy the company of, or maybe you've never met before, I had never met, um, other than Lidge, meeting Lidge through my show, I had never met Bjorgvin or Kevin or Chris until uh, this video uh, hangout thing came along and we did that. So, yeah. Pretty interesting, pretty fun thing we do. But uh, yeah, so Chris is coming up. Um, after a few chats with him on our on our video hangout, I thought, you know what? I think Chris would be interesting to have on. I want to talk to him about a few things. I have some questions for him. So we have Chris Graham coming up here from Chris Graham Mastering. Uh, let's see. It's the new year. So uh, obviously time for resolutions. I'd love to go back to the last show from the last year, see the one from about this time, and see what the New Year's resolutions were then. Maybe I had some great declarations. We'll have to go back and, and listen. And on that topic, if you are new to the podcast and you are not familiar with Working Class Audio, uh, head on over to workingclassaudio.com. Make sure and check out the, uh, the archives. There's over 100 shows, 100-plus shows, that uh, many of our listeners will tell you if uh, you were talking to them that uh, they're all quite fond of. A lot of great people there, so be sure and check that out. Uh, let's see, what else do I got going on? Ooh, I want to tell you about this um, film that I saw on Netflix. Always watching the you know the oddball films on Netflix. That's what I do. Um, I watched a show called The Minimalists, and it's uh, based on. Uh, it's a documentary, of course. I love documentaries. The Min Minimalist is uh, two guys, and I can't remember their names, and that's okay because you could just Google them. And they run a website called The Minimalists. They have a concept that is quite similar to what uh, Graham Hill from Life Edited talks about, and that's about downsizing. Um, and what do I mean by that? What I mean is, you know, let's say you got a closet full of clothes. How many of those clothes do you actually wear? And I know that there's a lot of just-in-case type things. You know, maybe you got a suit in there for that once-in-a-while wedding you're going to wear. And if you're like me, you go and you put that suit on once in a great while and you realize, oh, my gosh, I've gained weight and I cannot fit into these pants. Anyhow, it's about purging all that excess, whether it's clothes, material possessions. It's about really, you know, fine-tuning things. And it's not one of these, you know, uh, sell all your stuff and, you know, move to a tiny house kind of concept. Although there's nothing wrong with that if you want to do that. But anyhow, it's it's really about 
finding the things that really drive you from a passion perspective and getting rid of the excess, you know, focusing on what matters. So, you know, focusing on relationships and, and experiences. And, you know, like if you're totally into books and you want to collect books, collect books. But all that other stuff, you know, do you need four different gaming consoles? You know, how many drum keys does one, one need to have collecting in their drawer next to their bed? I'm speaking personally of myself. You know, dialing it back to good tools that really make a difference uh, that you will use. So um, it's great. You should check it out. And something in there really appealed to me, uh, something that they said there. It's not like they were trying to uh, preach or um, convince you that you need to do something and follow them and your life will be great. They categorized it as recipes. They're recipes for things that work for them and maybe it'll work for you. So I like that concept. I like, you know, whenever I suggest, you know, like when we have our, our breaks and uh, tell you to, you know, go check out one of our sponsors. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of going over to, you know, gear sluts and I love looking at all the new gear that comes out. It's just a way for me to shop and not buy. Um, or when I tell you, you know, there's a new Audio-Technica mic or whatever it is. I always like you to figure it out for yourself. Does it work for you? It's not necessarily me telling you it's the end-all, be-all. This is what you have to do to make your life perfect. That, that's just bullshit. We all know that. So it's just recipes. And, and I like that. I really identified that. identified with uh, these guys in, that, in, in the way they phrase that. So moving forward, maybe we will be talking more about life recipes, recording recipes, uh, things like that. So, um, yeah, recently got back, uh, doing some traveling, did some traveling to Washington, DC, did some traveling to Detroit, man, I tell you, it's good to travel. It's good to see other stuff. It's good to see what the hell is going on in the rest of your world. You know, once you leave your own little bubble, really had a great time, uh, uh talking to Don Z and Tara from inner ear over in, uh, Alexandria, Virginia. So uh, if you haven't heard that, that's the lap, last episode. That was uh, episode 106. Be sure and check that out. Don's a, Don's a great guy, and I'm a big fan of his. Detroit, man, I tell you, what a fantastic place. I know many of you are going, really, Detroit? It's, it's really, it's, it's bittersweet because it's a, from a city perspective, it's got so many beautiful buildings, amazing buildings. And it just, it, you, I know that all of you listening would look at those buildings in, in a very similar way that I look at them. I look at them and I think, ooh, studio space or art space or whatever. You know, I think of the potential in those buildings. Unfortunately, there's a lot of rundown buildings. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of poverty. There's a ton of corruption. And, you know, there are people that are really doing uh, their best to bring Detroit back. And there's a lot of redevelopment going on. I uh, stopped in it's, uh, at a restaurant, uh, stopped in at uh, some kitschy shop that I thought was just ridiculous. I won't even mention them by name. But I did go over to uh, Third Man Records, stopped in there, posted a picture of the recording booth that they've got there. Really cool, interesting place, you know, supremely Jack White, you know, it was completely decked out in black and yellow. It was very color coordinated. So Jack's doing his thing there. That's for sure. Yeah. So a lot of redevelopment going on in, in Detroit, but, uh, you know, we'll just have to see what the future holds. Great, great city. Great. Uh, very cool people who live in the Midwest there. And, uh, yeah just a big fan. Also, I st let me tell you something else. Uh, I stopped by a place called the Detroit Dart Club. Huge fan of this place. If you like Nerf guns, and you, uh, whether you have kids or not, uh, take your family to this place, Detroit Dart Club. Basically, it's a, a one-man operation, and he lets you have Nerf gun wars, and he orchestrates them. He organizes you. He's got different games that he does, and there's, you know, obstacles and uh, forts and, you know, totally would appeal to uh, anybody who, you know, is just a kid at heart and likes Nerf guns. So you can get your uh, your Nerf gun wars on there at uh, Detroit Dart Club. So be sure and check check those guys out if you ever go to Detroit. And it's cool because you got, you got to go into this very uh, questionable uh, industrial area to a building that was used to build World War II bombers. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing place, amazing building. Once again, Detroit really uh, luring me in. Well, uh, that's it. Uh, that's I, I've spewed my New Year's my New Year's things for you. Um, 
I just want to tell you all, I, I, as usual, I appreciate you listening. I uh, will continue to grow the show with uh, episodes and grow the website with content. Stay tuned. Appreciate the time you take, because I know it takes time to sit down and listen to one of these things, much less a hundred of them. And uh, I want to wish you all a happy new year, a prosperous new year, and a safe new year. Had uh, some bad news from a couple friends about some deaths in their family over the holidays. And um, yeah, man, life is precious. So just, uh, you know, do what you need to do. Get out there, get active. Don't sit on your ass. Uh, Make stuff happen. Have fun. Make stuff. Yeah, do stuff. You only have one life. So that's my New Year's resolution. Life's precious. Let's go out and make some cool shit. Well, that's it. Let's get to it. Chris Graham here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I was. Uh, I just recorded my monologue, and I was uh, telling the audience how I met you via Lidge, essentially uh, turning me on to your website going, check this guy's website out. Check out how this works. And, uh, and then, of course, we met over our, our weekly calls with a roundtable of uh, some pretty brainy dudes. Indeed. Some nice folks. And uh, glad that you're a part of that now. Yeah, it's been really encouraging to be a part of that and just to have other people that are sort of thinking of the same things and reading similar books. And I love it. So you're based out of Columbus, Ohio, outside of Columbus. Yep, we're just north. Oh, what's the town? Uh, it's called Westerville, It's but Columbus is so big, it's, it's basically the town is within Columbus. Your mastering business as it stands today, is there a large portion that comes from local musicians? Most of our stuff is pretty evenly spread across the globe. We do uh, records from everywhere. You know, it might be from India one day, then I'm working for a guy, and then it might be from Michigan the day after that, and then from Texas the day after that, and, you know, Argentina the day after that. So it's pretty spread out. Honestly, I wish there were more local projects. It's fun to to be part of a community. You know, honestly, like I, I, I sort of wish that I did have an opportunity to work with more local bands. It's a pretty decent amount. But, you know, not a ton of records are coming out in Columbus. Primarily, my bread and butter is anywhere. Worldwide. Yeah, I'd say less than less than 5% of my projects are local. How long have you been mastering for? Uh, I started full-time in 08, somewhere in there. I was a professional musician, and I would go out on the road uh, with my acoustic guitar and a bunch of looper pedals. And I'd put on a show, and back in the day, people would buy your CD if they liked one of your songs. So it was super lucrative. So I'd go on the road, sell a bunch of CDs, and make a bunch of friends, and then come home and then spend all the money on recording gear. And then uh, people would hire me to produce their record. We'd do scratch tracks locally, and then usually go somewhere exotic, Nashville or something, and get studio players. And occasionally I'd have that client that would spend all their money on production and musicians, and and, uh, they'd get to the, the... I'm done mixing, and then it's. I'd say, all right, well, we need to send it to this guy for mastering, and there'd be no budget left. And so I got, you know, backed into a corner mastering my own mixes, which is the most miserable thing probably in audio. To this day, you know, having mastered thousands of songs, I, I still, if I'm working on a personal project, I, I'm not enjoying myself when I'm mixing and mastering. But anyway, so I started, um, you know, I was occasionally mastering my own mixes, and then started mastering for friends so that they didn't have to master their own mixes. And pretty soon, all my producer friends were sending their work to me um, to master for them. And uh, from there, we just sort of grew and grew and grew and had the idea for that before and after player on the website. You know, you can you know press play and hear unmastered and then press mastered and it flips back and forth. And I had that idea and I, I sort of said to myself, oh my gosh, I could do this for a living with that website, the website I have in my mind. So we put that website up and uh, started promoting it and strangers started hiring me. And it was the weirdest, that was the weirdest moment in my life. Strangers. Strangers. This guy, Greg, called me up from, I think he was from Pittsburgh. He was real skeptical and he ended up hiring me. And it was just this like light went off of like, oh my gosh, there are so many people out there that are in need of mastering who don't know a guy, a local guy. So I just went after it and it's, it took off. It, you know, grew like crazy from there. And, you know, we're to the point where we master about a, about an album worth of music a day. So it's full and busy and business is great. Life is wonderful. I love it, man. 
positive. The player that you have up on your website, I think, is is an interesting talking point in the context of our interview, just because it gives a person a chance to hear a before and an after of what you can do. And it goes, if I recall correctly, it goes through different genres. Yeah. Yeah. You select the genre and then you can do before and after. But if I recall from our conversation in our video chat with uh, with the guys the other day, I think you had said that the player wasn't initially part of the website. Is that right? No, it, it was. So, you know, in 07 or so, I was producing, mixing, and also mastering. So I'd get hired to produce a project or I might get hired to mix a project that I didn't produce or I might get hired to master a project that that would be the first time I touched it. And my producer friends kept encouraging me. Um, I had a mentor at the time, and it's kind of Chris Pyle from Athens, Ohio. And he told me, you, you're good at this. You could do this for a living. And I just was like, no, that's crazy. There's no way I could do that for a living. But then I had the idea for the before and after player. And at the time, no one had done that. That was a brand new thing um, on the internet. And I found a developer that could pull it off and we rolled that out on the website. And that was that was how the business really went from working, would be putting it kindly before the website. You know, like I was paying the bills, but man, things were tight. Me and my wife were newly married and man, we were destitute, but we ate three meals a day. <laughs> so, yeah. Would you credit the player with the the business? To some degree, yeah, a little bit. Like it's it's a funny thing. Like I'd always believed growing up, sort of like if you're good at something like sort of the 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 field of dreams if you build it they will come like all you need to be is good and things will happen for you and i i think being good isn't enough you have to put it out there that you're good you have to have a way for people to see that you're for real and that you have talent ability and integrity it wasn't until the website really went live that it became a business and it's been you know crazy ever since I, I want to touch on that. You you say that, you know, people want to see that you're for real and that you have integrity. Would you agree that most people sh- try to show that they're quote unquote for real by showing off gear? Yeah, 100%. And so like I'm a weirdo. That's a, a great topic for me because I'm super weird in my industry. I don't post a gear list. And the reason I don't do that is there are a lot of people that do and lie. That there's just there are just rampant rumors about uh, and stories about. Hey, I was online the other day and I I found an individual who had a mastering studio that looked identical to mine, down to the scratches on the gear. And you know, people will start these fake mastering websites and steal pictures and say, yeah, I've got a uh, you know an original Fairchild and you know and Vermeu and all this stuff and uh, try to get people to hire them one time and then do a terrible job with an L1 limiter and send it back and refuse to make a refund or a revision. So yeah, for me, like my, uh, I don't post a gear list and, and what I say on my website all over the place is, uh, send me a song. Let me do a sample for you. Judge me by my work. Yes. hundred percent. I go further on, than that on the website and say, this is, you know, I think great advice to any audio engineer. Don't master your own music. Take one of your songs, send it to a few mastering engineers have a few of them master a sample for you and have a shootout and see which one you like the best. You know, that's simple. And uh, that that's most of the, the upper echelon, most professional, best, you know, highest budget guys I work with. That's what they do. And that's how I've won a lot of my clients. Um, you know, a lot of my guys that come back again and again and again. I was in a contest years ago and, you know, it was me and four other mastering engineers and I won. And I've kept their business, you know, ever since. So, yeah. I think it goes without saying, I'm sure you're proud of the work that you do, do, but do you think you also win not only on the quality of your work, but do you win on your price? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty affordable and I try to keep it low. You know, my, what I think is cool as an audio engineer is when a guy kicks the crap out of the gatekeepers, that he makes a record on his own with no budget and he puts it out there and it does well and outperforms records with huge budgets. And I think I didn't master it obviously, but, uh, Bonnie Vare, uh, his first record I think is the coolest record in the world made it in a cabin with bad gear, but it was great art. 
uh, had it mastered, put it out, and now he's a superstar. That is cool to me. And those are the t- those are the type of clients. Like my dream is not to master for you two. My dream is to master for a band before they get big, and that 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 basically recorded on their own and just made great art and weren't snobby about how they made it. I think you mentioned was it Seven Swans that you mentioned? Was oh that you? yeah, you yeah, brought that, that up. Th- that's an even better example. Sufjan Stevens made a record called Seven Swans years ago, and it made the biggest impression and splash sort of in the indie folk scene. Just became a huge record. The dude recorded it on a terrible Boss multi-track, like little battery-powered thing, at 32k. 16-bit, 32K, so less than CD quality. And for you know your listeners, I don't know if you've ever heard 32K before. 32K is atrocious. It doesn't, uh, you know, you need to be at 44.1 to have full uh, the full audio spectrum, to hit that Nyquist frequency where you're actually getting 16, 17, 18, 19, 20K that we can hear up to, especially if you're you know younger than us. And uh, he, so he didn't even have that frequency response, but recorded it on a Boss machine, got an old Mac G3, took the output of each track, <laughs> m- soloed it on the boss, pressed play, and then pressed record and Pro Tools free using the eighth-inch line-in input on the back of the machine, and then synced up all his tracks once he had them into Pro Tools, mixed it in Pro Tools free, so eight tracks, and then sent it to, I forget the guy's name, but a guy who mastered it, and the record is gorgeous. <laughs> and it's amazing. And that's the coolest story in the world that art won, not, <laughs> not gear, not budget, not nerdiness. This guy just made, Sufjan Stevens just made this unbelievable record. And that, that's what made it awesome. You know what it is? It's that magic G3 sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. There was just something about the way they clocked those CPUs. <laughs> Okay, let's talk conspiracy theory for a minute. We t- we talked about people who who create, you know, they post gear pictures and studios that sometimes don't exist and maybe they're doing the mastering in in a way that doesn't represent that. I always have this conspiracy theory that there's mastering engineers out there that are taking people's stuff, uploading it to Lander and sending the stuff back to them like that. I think that there are people doing that as well. And it's that's why I encourage people to do that shootout. You can't, I mean, Lander aside, I, I shouldn't say anything about Lander, but you can't fake great audio in a shootout. So that's, I really think that that's the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, even if you've been working with an engineer for years, a master engineer, I, I still think a shootout, at least every once in a while, is a healthy thing to do. It keeps everybody on their toes. That's my my crazy uh, tinfoil hat uh, conspiracy for the uh, conversation today. Yeah. Well, and there's other stories of other conspiracy theories about studios who, you know, are rumored to, there's a totally marquee mastering engineer, and then some 19-year-olds with inboxes sitting in the next room uh, actually doing the mastering. Who knows? You, you never know, and you never know, like... If uh, there's something, you know, shady going on or if it's just not a good match, mm-hmm. you know, like like I work in all genres, but there are going to be some engineers that are better than me in some genres and I'll be better than them in other genres. So it, it's there's kind of like a, a marriage there. There needs to be compatibility. Well, so transitioning from conspiracy theory to integrity, what does integrity in audio mean to you? Yeah, man, I think that is the question. Um, and I think. My experience as a producer was that mastering engineers could be rude and condescending and not collaborative. You know, you would ask a question after they mastered. This is everyone I know that's ever had a record mastered, a few records mastered professionally has a story but like this of, boy, they mastered it. They sent it back. I hated it. I called them and they wouldn't really change anything. They were not open to my opinion. They were, they're a god. And I'm a, you know, peasant. If I thought the record was too bright, I'm a fool. They're right. And I'm wrong, even though it's my art. And, you know, there are definitely occasions when that's legitimate that a mastering engineer might say, no, brighter's not not a better idea here. 
And that usually comes down to listening environment. You know, if you're only checking on iPhone headphones and then you give feedback on your masters, you're not going to have great feedback, obviously. But I, I think as far as integrity goes, what I found, let me get back to your original question here. I kind of went off on a side note there. I think what integrity means, first and foremost, is doing what you say you'll do by when you say you'll do it. And I think for us in the creative community, we, frankly, as a community, as a as a demographic, have the reputation of not doing what we say we'll do by when we say we'll do it. And, you know, a lot of people that are sort of outside looking in hate working with audio guys or hate working with graphic design guys or hate working with video guys because they're flaky. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, like I pride myself on, you're going to send me your project. I'm going to tell you when it's going to be done. And by gosh, it's going to be done on that day or before. And I'm going to move quickly and not be, flaky and not like disappear and that's you know the other story that you know a lot of people complained about complain about a lot with with audio engineers and specifically mastering engineers that that sometimes they're just not reachable and so for me integrity just meant like hey i've got my website up i'm telling you you can hire me to master i'm going to be available and if you need to get a hold of me I'm, i'm not going to disappear for two weeks and then come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I had more important projects than you. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so I I think integrity comes down to doing what you say you'll do by when you say you'll do it. And what I always tell like interns and, you know, people that are just starting out is if you do what you say you'll do by when you say you'll do it and you're reasonably talented, you will be just fine. You'll rise to the top. Many times it's feast or famine. Oh, yeah. You know, taking on jobs, um, you know, I, I definitely have done this in the past where I've taken on, you know, multiple mixed jobs and really just had to put my nose to the grindstone to make sure that it, it all was getting done in a timely manner because it's very easy to get behind. And then people are like, hey, man, so you got anything? Can I, can I hear, can I hear where you're at? Yeah. So, you know, speaking from experience and having screwed that up before, what do you do to remain organized in your business? Um, a couple things. And I would say kind of in response to that, a, a wise man told me one time that sort of along the same lines of do what you'll say you'll do by when you'll say you'll do it um, is this philosophy of under promise over deliver. And I think that that's integrity in audio as well. Don't promise something above and beyond what you deliver or what you're going to deliver. And I, I think for a lot of people, their experience if they had an unpleasant audio experience working at, at, with, at a studio or with a master engineer, it was because they got less than they expected or they got less than was promised. So for me, I'm, I'm always trying to be conscious of I don't want to overpromise and then underdeliver. I want to make sure that I'm setting my expectation of, yeah, I could get this back to you in five days and hopefully get it back in four. And then I've delivered more faster or, you know, doing an extra like, uh, hey, on Song nine on this album, I decided to do two versions of that just to give you some choices there because that song was a little a little more difficult than the others. So I, I think the over the under promise over deliver thing is huge. So for me, as far as like actual organizational techniques, I am meticulously organized. Every single file is perfectly labeled and in the right folder. My email sends my email system sends me alerts if I don't respond in a timely manner. You know, I'm always, we, we use a, an email application called Help Scout because for me, you know, doing an album a day, that's a lot of clients I have to interface with in a given week. So Help Scout gives me reports on my response time on emails. So I'm just kind of looking over my own shoulder a lot, just making sure that, that I'm in a good spot. And I, I think the, the big problem with that is not having a scoreboard, that it's difficult to be organized if you don't have a scoreboard telling you, hey, it's taking you four days to email people back. Maybe you should reevaluate. And the lucky thing, I think, for me is when I made the jump from sort of do-it-all audio engineer to just mastering is just there's so many projects that you can do as a mastering engineer because they're so much smaller. There's so much less time consuming than mixing a song that you just get experienced really, really quickly because you're dealing with an enormous number of clients as opposed to when I first started out, you know, it might be one client every month was a lot was a lot of clients for me back in the day. That was moving way too fast. A lot of times it was one client every three or four months and I'd be working for them full time for that four month period. So you just don't you don't get a lot of experience when you're working with that small of a number of clients 
to create systems and to get really organized and to create systems to just track things well as far as calendars and keeping your files organized and all that. There's just less pressure. You ha- you have to as, an, as a mastering engineer. So you sort of, you do, or you go out of business. Your emphasis is what, all the things that we've discussed. It's, you know, judge me by my work and have integrity and, and really stay on top of, of what you're doing, not only from an audio perspective, but just from you know, a business perspective. Do you have a financial philosophy that uh, you, any specific things that help keep your business stay afloat? Yeah, for sure. I pay myself each month before I reinvest, you know, whether that's in gear or in marketing or in graphic design or, you know, whatever it is I'm, I'm investing to, you know, promote my business or promote my services. The, the temptation as an audio engineer, and I know everybody that, that's, that owns a microphone is that, that knows this, that's listening, is there's always the t- temptation to be like, you know what, man, <sighs> I need to buy a Telefunken. I need to drop like six grand on a mic or, you know, or, or a manly microphone or, or something, uh, something wild. And that's, that's just what I need. And a lot of times you do that and the same people, you know, in a smaller studio setting, the same people hire you that would have hired you if you're using a KSM 32, you know, like they don't, they don't know the difference between a $1,500 mic and a $5,000 mic. So there's always that temptation. And I try to be really disciplined about that of um, anything I buy. And that's sort of the relief of not posting my gear list. I don't have to justify, well, yeah, but if I can get a picture of XYZ piece of gear, then maybe more people will hire me. That's, I think that's, crazy and so dangerous and toxic and i i get it it's a sickness and i have it <laughs> shout out to gear to gearsluts.com <laughs> <laughs> thank you gearsluts well that's interesting because i wanted to touch a little bit more on the gear thing in terms of when we talked about mastering people posting the pictures it's almost as if we're trying to and i just say we as recording professionals whether we're guilty of it or not, we're trying to sell the musical clients on the things that we ourselves have been sold on, which is gear. Amen. Because we are a demographic that, you know, for, for better or for worse, whatever we, we live in the society we do, you know, it's here in the U S it's capitalism. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that, but when it comes to the gear, it's like, I don't think it's necessary for, us as recording professionals to try to say it's 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 as if like imagine if you hired a contractor or or a carpenter it's just like and you went to their website and instead of posting picture well in addition to posting pictures of their completed carpentry work they had a list of their tools <laughs> like <laughs> i own this reciprocating saw and this circular saw and these hammers Oh, wow. He's got a Ryobi. He must be for real. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know, but he's got a Makita drill. Mm, uh, I'm going to other... go with the other guy. Yeah. I really want a, someone with the Ryobi yeah. to work on my bathroom. That's a great... I've never thought of it that way. That's a great way to explain it. And uh, and I could say from experience, you do occasionally get a client that calls you up and they want to know every detail of what, you, of what you're using. And like the the reality of it is, is it's like I said, do a shootout. It doesn't matter if they've got a million dollars worth of gear, if they don't have the ear and they mm-hmm. don't know how to use it. That's really what matters. And I think, man, that, that's so challenging as an audio engineer, because I'm constantly tempted with, I need to buy this. I need to buy that. I'm wearing a brand new pair of headphones right now. I literally opened them right before the podcast because I had to have them, had to get my first pair of Grados, which are awesome, by the way. Uh, ah, I don't know. Yeah, like it's so from a financial discipline for my business. Yeah, is is making sure that I'm not going to make a decision for myself instead of for my customers. Well, it's it's hard too when you have a philosophy that you feel is true and 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 transparent or warm. It depends on how you- <laughs> <laughs> or or warm, um, clear. Transparent. Yes, I, I think my I think my philosophy is warm and fat, um, and a little no, glassy but, with some chime. But when your clients are subscribing to the things that you know, like, well, what, what, what kind of gear do you have? Well, what does it matter? 
th- that's what I love about you is that you're really kind of pushing the the result. And I always I think that there the 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 similarities in cooking and construction compared to recording. That's are, so good. Are, are there's so many parallels there and i always say it and it's it grows tired on the ears of my listeners i'm sure but nobody gives a shit what stove you use to cook the meal or pot you used as long as the meal tastes good that's the, that's what people should be drawing their conclusions from yeah in fact i i saw this um i don't know if you ever watch anthony bourdain parts unknown yeah he's uh, great you know, he went over, I think he was in somewhere in, in Canada, like Quebec, and he was there at some underground, I, I don't, I don't want to call it an underground restaurant, but it was like some kind of restaurant where they were like using like electric stoves and hot, hot plates to hmm. cook like these incredible meals. And that was, that was something that they focused in and focused in on, on the show was that, yeah, these guys are like using like tools of your basic kitchen to create these mastermind meals, hmm. mastermind meal. Is that really a word? But anyways, you get my point. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like results, man. If I were giving advice to like a first year audio student or someone who just started their studio, that's a conversation that needs to be had. I love how you put that about like, if I go to a restaurant, I don't care what they use to cook it. I care how it tastes, you know, like it needs, to, there needs to be general cleanliness and I need to know that it's like, I'm not going to walk in and be like, oh, you're going to use um, SM58s and a Behringer board from the 90s. That's okay. Interesting. No offense to Behringer. They've improved so much. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it's it's got to be about results, not this sort of like uh, pissing contest about, oh, well, you only have the uh, XYZ preamp and I have the next level up from that with the uh, sidechain capability or what, you know, whatever it is like that. W- yeah, we need to not compete with the other audio engineers. We need to focus on, I think, what artists and what musicians want. And what I always tell people, even people that are thinking about going to like a four-year college for audio, be like, man, you're going to, whether you do or don't do that, you're not going to get hired because of your degree. You're not going to get hired because of what gear you have. You're going to get hired because of your last project. Someone's going to hear the last project you did and say, man, that sounds great. I want to hire that guy. And they don't, they don't care if you mixed it. They don't care if you mastered it. They don't care if you rented your equipment or if you own your equipment. They care that the record sounds awesome and that they can afford you, that you're within their budget. That's it. Well, let's talk about your space. The space you're in right now that I'm talking to you, is that your space? This is the space. Yeah, it's uh, it's smaller than I'd like. We're in the process of building a new one. But yeah, there's just uh, you know a considerable amount of acoustic treatments on the walls uh, in here. And we're, we're planning on building a bigger room, get a little bit tighter, better, more consistent bass results from the system here and and the plan with the new space and I'm really excited about is for diffusers I am going to a mill uh, that mills trees and we are going to get uh, the bark the outside piece of wood when they when they cut a log they cut off pieces of bark and wood and they turn that into mulch I'm going to get those and have those milled by a friend of mine and we're going to hang those uh, in here we're probably going to use ash because there's a heck of a lot of available ash here in Ohio and that's how we're going to do diffusion. We're going to do a completely organic, created by nature style of diffusion instead of like a bunch of squares at varying heights, you know, like. So I'm really excited about it. You know, like to me, the best sound that I've ever heard is, you know, like the the echo in a wood in the woods. Hearing sound bounce off trees, it just diffuses and is gorgeous and beautiful. So that's that's sort of the plan that's that's in process right now is. uh building a bigger space, higher, a little bit higher ceilings and uh, doing a lot more, a lot less absorption, a little bit more diffusion. So I'm not quite as religious as some mastering engineers as far as flat frequency response and being all crazy and wild. You know, I do the right things as far as, you know, calibrating subs and all that and, you know, spend a lot of time on that. But for me, I think space is a whole lot less important, especially for me. Like I don't have clients at the studio. Everything I do is remote. To me, as far as getting a result that's going to, you know, here's a nugget of truth. One of the ways I win projects is, is I understand that a good master will sound good everywhere and a bad master will only sound good in the mastering studio. So one of my big 
things is is uh is checking my work other places as much as I can getting out of the studio and and doing you know car tests and headphone checks and you know listening to it on my speakers up in my family room which are very very nice speakers but you know getting listening to it in places where I know what the speakers sound like and I find that the more variety of speakers that I know well the better job I do as an as an audio engineer as a mastering engineer because I know what a song or what a specific genre is supposed to sound like in my workshop or in my car or in my family room or in my etymotic headphones and hopefully someday soon in my grados <laughs> you know so did they, I, did they give you those headphones or did you buy them i bought them i bought them they're they're so affordable 100 bucks for you know world-class pair of headphones is that's a steal so yeah 100, so, 100 bucks wow okay yeah these are the uh grado sr 80 es you know they're uh, I, there's a great video. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but there's a great video on one of my favorite YouTube channels on Great Big Story that's sort of like how Grado, the Grado factory works. And it's like... Uh, oh, I've a, seen that. Oh, dude. That place is so cool. They run such a great shop. So... Yeah. Well, you know, now that we're, we're about halfway in and uh, we need to take a sponsor break here at the show... Uh, I'm just going to give my pitch for my Audio-Technica ATH M40Xs. So they, Those are great. I've used them. Those are wonderful. You know, let's talk about that for a second. And the reason is, is because like I AB'd all their headphones and just side by side with content that I was familiar with. And I just found the pair that where I thought, wow, that mid-range seems accurate and the bottom end does not seem bloated. And bloated bottom end, I think with many, many people, many people seems to be, you know, maybe it's a fashion thing. I don't know. But for me, it, uh, it drives me nuts. Me and too. I like to, I like to hear things a little more accurate than that. So, and these also, these are under a hundred bucks and, uh, they have a removable cable, you know? So if you goof the cable up, you can get another one. And, uh, anyways, so there's my pitch to you for hehm 40 x's i'd agree with that um i've used those before and to me like sort of the industry standards i don't love the 240s the, the akg sort of classic headphones don't love those i don't like the sony mdr headphones that ever you know are super, <laughs> i really don't like those yeah those um, those those kill my ears they're so harsh and so fatiguing yeah the audio technica tends to do a, i think a great job of not hyping stuff up, you know, like it doesn't, the MDRs, like I just listen to those and it's just like, man, it just sounds like wires under a snare, you know, the whole, <laughs> like, that's a, yeah, that, that, I would, I would agree with that. I can listen to these headphones, uh, for pleasure or for work. And, and when I can do that and feel comfortable, like I'm not like, like, I'm not a big fan of Meyer HD one speakers, to be honest with you, hmm. you know, they're, uh, just not fun to listen to. And if it's not fun, it doesn't make for an enjoyable experience. And I'm just like, this is I too, totally sci agree. too scientific for me. Well, and even on the flip side of that, um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are, are going to dislike me more in, in a moment. I don't like an S10s. I think that there are many people that would agree with you. Um, oh, I, I know there are, but there are a lot of other, there's the flip side of the coin. If you like them and you can get great mixes on them, more power to you, but I don't think they're fun to listen to. And I always point this out and I'm, and I only say this as an owner of a pair of NS10s. There are different generations of NS10s. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and the NS10M studio has a different tweeter and a different crossover from what I understand than the original NS10 and is is a little more pleasurable for me to listen to in the top end. So I like the NS10s. I do a lot of mixing on NS10s. You know, back to what I was saying before, I think my sort of secret is a variety of speakers, you know, making sure that it doesn't just sound good in one place. And for me, psychologically, as a mastering engineer, the biggest danger is that I get stuck in, well, it sounds great in my studio, so... Uh, and my, you know, facility is extremely calibrated and, you know, my frequency response is very flat. So it will obviously sound good everywhere else. And that is not as true as I think many people would have you believe. And it, even if it, you might not get an approval from an artist or from a mix engineer or from a producer or whatever, like it's about, it's about engaging people's emotions more, 
after it's mastered than it was before it was mastered. And so there's, uh, you know, as much as, as we as audio engineers would love to believe sometimes, it's easier to see audio as more of a science than an art. It's at least 51% art, even at the mastering stage, I believe. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I, I want to just jump back for a second, back to your space. That's in your house? Yeah. Yeah, we've got a huge walkout basement. Um, it's one of the reasons we bought this house when we were shopping for the house, uh, shopping for a house eight years ago. The number one criteria was the basement needs to be a nice place for me to work. God, God love the Midwest. Yeah. Well, seriously, in Columbus, Ohio, the housing prices are just so cheap. You can get... 10 houses for the price that you could get one house in New York City or California or yeah so yeah like we had a lot of choice and we were also this was right during the crash we were the only buyers in town so we had our pick of the litter and uh we were like the last people to get approved by the by the banks before they got all shut down anyways yeah so we had our pick of the litter and we found this house that uh backs up to the woods and has a walkout basement and had you know taller ceilings so it was uh jumped right out at me of like, man, that's, that's the place I want. I could. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I just got back from Michigan and you know, it's just Midwestern houses. It's just, it's like some people in, you know, like in, in some cities have, uh, you know, in, in places that are hot, a lot of people have pool. I'd rather have a basement than a pool. I agree. And, uh, we don't, we don't have a lot of basements, uh, happening here in California as a, as a regular building feature. So, so that provides you a great opportunity because you don't have to worry about a lease and you can alter your building because you own it. Uh, there's a lot of advantages with building. And the uh, tax deductions. When I go to file my taxes, my, my mom is uh, one of the best accountants in the state. Luckily for me as a business owner, you know, she's uh, has an impressive list of rock stars, uh, figuratively speaking, on her client list. And she... So, you know, I, I know that I'm doing my taxes right when I hand them in and there's huge tax benefits because I get to write off a huge portion of my electric bill, my gas bill, you know, improvements, obviously improvements that we do to the house. And yeah, there's a lot of freedom with that. And for me, the big thing, the big draw was to be a good mastering engineer, you need to be consistently mentally healthy. You need to make the right decisions regardless of uh, ego issues that you might have or fatigue issues that you might have. And with this house, I can, you know, walk out the uh, the walkout basement and I'm in the woods. And to me, that just centers me and brings me right back to where I want to be. And, uh, you know, I can make make the right decision when I'm working on a record. That's It's a bonus. Plus, you are close to home, which is great. Yeah. You know? I eat lunch with my kids every day. Oh, that's awesome. Work-life balance. How do you how do you manage that? Like I said, the, the, the determining factor... As far as my the quality of my work and 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 all that comes down to mental health for me, and I I don't think I'm very unique in that as a mastering engineer. I think that uh, your primary determinant, once you have a you know a, a reasonable level of intelligence and skill, is how healthy are you and are you making good choices. So for me, I try to go above and beyond and spend time with my wife, spend time with my kids. Uh, spend time walking in the woods, um, spend time making music on my own. I just got done, you know, playing my guitar real loud with my four-year-old right before this, which was a blast. And so for me, work-life balance is about avoiding the 15-hour sessions. And, you know, when I first got started in audio, that's what it was. I would book myself up and we would do 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-hour marathons and then do those a few days in a row. And then obviously we'd come back like everybody does and a few days later, better mental health and listen to our work and be like, oh, what the heck was <laughs> I thinking? Why does everything sound so bright? Well, that's because all you're hearing above 5K was totally wrecked from putting in 15 hours a day. So for me, like I, I try to break things into two-hour blocks. I try to work for two hours and then take at least 10 minutes off. Go get mentally healthy, let my ears recover, and then come back and you know work another two hours and take some more time off for lunch. And and uh, yes, I take a lot of breaks throughout the day, which um, which is good for me, but it's also why I did terrible in school. <laughs> but you know that's the bonus of of unattended mastering sessions is 
you know, as long as you get the work done and, and you give the result that you, that you're ultimately striving for to keep that integrity and keep that quality up, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I could do it four in the morning or I could do it four in the afternoon. That's right. And, you know, no, no disrespect to, to those who have spent, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears setting up mastering studios and, you know, renting a building or buying a building and setting up a dedicated place that has a different set of rules and, and, and pros and cons, of course. Um, and it really helps to cater to having clients at, uh, joining you for sessions, having attended sessions. Yeah. So, well, and I used to do a lot of attended sessions and what I found, and the reason I, I don't do them at all anymore, haven't for years was what I found is a client would come in and they would hear their music on my speakers and it was the best they'd ever heard their music. One, it's in the process of being mastered and two, my speakers kick ass and my room sounds great. So they would give me feedback of do this or do that and make it brighter, make it warmer, but they don't know how my room sounds. They haven't had anywhere near enough time to acclimate. So then they'd go home and listen to it on their cars and listen to it on their speakers. And then I'd get a long list of revisions. And because now that they listened to it in an environment that they knew, they had an unbiased, legitimately valid audio opinion about, hey, I know how these speakers sound uh, in my living room and my masters sound too boomy. So the advice I gave the mastering engineer of, hey, could you crank the bass a little bit uh, in his super flat environment wasn't a great call because I'm not used to listening to speakers with the, with the bass that much under control. So what I found was when I switched to just attended sessions was I almost never get revision requests. I'll send the first masters out and less than 5% of the time do I get any sort of um, feedback on, hey, could you do this? Hey, could you do that? You know, ironically, when I do get that feedback, 50% of the time of that 5% of the time I'm asked for a revision, I do the revision and they end up saying, you know what? You were right. That first one was it. We're going to go with the first thing you did. And so I think doing an attendant session is the way to go because ultimately the artist is the boss. They're going. You're saying doing unattended or attended? Unattended. I think unattended is the way to go, hands down. And I'd recommend it for everybody because having the artist's feedback on spectral and compression issues during mastering, EQ and compression issues during mastering, they're not going to give you great feedback and they're not going to know that they're giving you, not giving you great feedback. They need to do it in an environment that they're familiar with. They need to have access to at least three sets of speakers that they're familiar with to be able to go back and listen and say, wow, it sounds great on all the systems that I know well. And for me, that really came down to like I, clients get frustrated when they need to ask for a revision and mastering. I totally know that. And so for me, having unattended sessions allowed me to deliver the final master's when I first started doing that, you know, it might be the second round of revisions, but now that I'm, you know, I've been doing this for years as a result of doing the unattended session that my first masters get approved and that makes clients happier and they come back more often because nobody wants to go into this. Hey, I'm, I'm not quite happy with the masters. I don't know how to explain why, uh, you know, we joked about this earlier. It's they're too warm or they're, they're too muddy. I, I don't know. Can you, the language is just very difficult. It's a pain I, in the butt. I hate the language thing. I, and I always talk about there's a there's a, a session I did where there's a record I worked on where the artist and I, we talked about the mixes. I listened to all the language that the artist was saying, you know, I wanted this, I wanted that, you know, it's all the, all the, all the, the, the terms that we're, we're talking about here. So I, I hung on every word that guy said and mixed it. Gave it to him and he goes, nah, man, this isn't it. And I said, you know what? Let me just mix it how I think it should be mixed. And let's just try that. What have we got to lose? I followed my gut. And then he was like, this is what I'm talking about. Okay. Lesson learned. Major lesson I, learned. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've learned learned that lesson again and again and again of, they said, oh, we want it real clear and I'll do what I what my gut says. And I'll say, well, they said they wanted it clear. I'm going to change what my gut said. And then I, that's when I get asked for a revision. And when I talk about mental health, it's the mental health to say, I'm going to go with my gut instead of um, overthinking it. Yeah. And what does clear even mean? Right? Yeah. If I get asked for a revision, I overthought it almost hundred percent of the time. I had another experience. I, I just want to relate since we're on this topic. Uh, many, many years ago when I was in a, in a band that was uh, signed to Warner brothers, we, did a record. We did it in England. 
and we had um, a great guy mix it, uh, Dave Bascom, who had worked with a lot of British bands. And, and anyhow, we sat there as a band over Dave's shoulder as he mixed it. I think we drove him nuts. Really wasn't that happy with some of the th- things on the record. Overall, you know, in retrospect, I'm happy. But at the time, I was like, ah, this is not what I'm thinking. Warner Brothers then says, we don't like the sound of this record for American rock radio. We need to have it remixed. And I think they had Tom, I think it was Tom Lord Algae. I think it was Chris's brother mix one of the singles. And we couldn't be there. It was just not going to work out. And I remember showing up to my manager's house in LA at the time. And he, uh, he had a pair of NS10s and he had a DAP machine and he played back the DAP mix, uh, that had taken the, the remix. And I, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, this is amazing sounding. Mm. Um, and it also taught me a couple things. Obviously, you know, there's two different styles of mixing there going on. Um, aside, you know, from the different people, there's, you know, there's some people say that there's a big difference in American mixing styles versus British mixing styles. I'd agree. But, but the other thing, the, the key thing that I walked away from was we weren't there and look how well it came out. Yeah. And, and that it really, that was before I got into audio, that really informed a lot of my later uh, mixing de- decisions and practices with clients was that experience. That's, I think that is so wise. And that is uh, one of the most difficult parts of being a mastering engineer for me um, is working with artists, particularly that are on their sophomore record. You know, they're like, we've done this once before. We know what we're doing. And this happened just last week. Um, I was doing a sample for a really, really fantastic band who had had a friend of mine mix their record, really good, close friend of mine, you know, got the sample from them, the the mix and and was listening to it. I was like, oh man, this is going to be rough. They sent me all these references that we want to sound like these bands, these songs from these bands. And it was like, oh man, this wasn't mixed anything like these songs. It's not even in the ballpark. And so I called the mix engineer and it was exactly the story you just told me. Like, yeah, they told me 100% of what to do. They, I want the drums to sound like this and I want the guitars to sound like this and turn that up 1.1 dB and turn that down 0.2 dB. And that is a recipe for disaster. And as a mastering engineer, it's a weird line that I have to walk. And sometimes what that ends up happening is me mediating. I've had to do this a number of times, mediating between the artist and the mix engineer and, and and um, in the friendliest, most polite, most non-condescending way that I can, telling the artist, I would trust the mix engineer. This is like his 100th record that he's mixed. Let him do his thing um, because he's going to create magic in a way that you just can't when someone's looking over your shoulder. You can't hit that. Uh, you can't create a mix that evokes emotion unless it's just you and and whatever spiritual thing happens when you create a great mix by yourself. Well, and it's also back to my, uh, you know, food and cooking. Um, Once again, it's a, you know, would you stand over a chef and say, is that really how you're going to cut those carrots? Mm, Yeah. Oh, you're going to use that much salt. Oh, what's that? Oh, oh, your, your water's boiling. You better go, you know, you wouldn't do that. Or can I taste, can I taste that sauce before it's finished? And you know something? As a parent, you'll appreciate this. Uh, my kids with their picky eating habits, I don't let them, if at all possible, watch what I'm cooking. Because mm. if they see some of the stuff that I put in their food, they're going to be like, oh, but I don't like that. It's like, I don't, I don't want to hear it. Tell me how it, t- tell me how it tastes. And then, and then we'll yeah. discuss. My God, ga- my grandma, my, uh, my dad's mom, Gaga is like the coolest lady I've ever met in my life. She's I want to say 94 years old, 93 years old right now. The original Lady Gaga? The original Lady Gaga. And she is a great cook. And whenever I was over, I I hated onions as a kid. And uh, I would tell her, "Don't, don't put any onions in, Gaga. Don't put any onions in. And she'd always say, oh, you can't even taste them. They're just in there for flavor. And I was like... Wait a minute. Well, cool, man. This has been fun and a uh, good conversation. Yeah. I love, I love a lot yeah, of what man. you had to say and I really agree with a lot of it. And uh, this has been fun. I think um, if listeners want to find you, you can be found at chrisgrammastering.com. Yeah. Uh, G-R-A-H-A-M, Graham Link the Cracker. Um, if you Google it, I'll pop right up. Um, but yeah, chrisgrammastering.com. And yeah. Thanks for being on the show. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
There it is, Chris Graham on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Want to thank you again for tuning in, and uh, of course we want to thank Chris for uh, taking the time to hang out with us and shed some wisdom and some light on uh, his methods and practices. So, uh, yeah, that's it, man. So, Happy New Year to you all. And I want to say, of course, thanks to uh, my crew, uh, Cliff Truesdell, Chuck Smith, Cole Williams. I want to thank the sponsors, Gearsluts.com, Focal Monitors, Universal Audio, and Audio-Technica. And I want to thank you all once again. Happy New Year. Take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at Gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out. (laughs) 